Welcome to the Humans Under Grace Bible Study Podcast. We're getting ready to have an old-fashioned line-on-line, precept-on-precept study of God's Word to search out those deeper truths and gain a greater understanding of the Bible. We would love for you to join us today as we dig in and learn what it is God would truly have us to know from His letter that He wrote to us. Hello there, God bless you and welcome into the study today. We're glad to have you. We're going to be doing another topical study, the rapture doctrine. Now, where did this doctrine begin and what does the Bible say about it? Because that's what really matters. It's not what any man says, me or anybody else, but what does the Word of God say about the rapture? Just a little history on this and where the doctrine came from. In the spring of 1830, in a town called the Port Glasgow in western Scotland, there was a woman by the name of Margaret MacDonald that had a vision. Now, leading up to this vision, during the 1820s or so, there was a massive kind of revolution, uh, basically, a, I guess you could say a revolution of one-upmanship. Churches were kind of going against each other and, you know, oh, well, This good brother did this, and he's so holy, and he's from my church. And then on the other side, oh, no, but hold on. Now, this brother's a little holier than that, and he did this, and he can do that, and back and forth and back and forth. And it finally led up to Margaret MacDonald having a vision. Now, about, I believe it was two years prior to this, she'd been bedridden. She was ill. And so she had a while to study these different theologians that were coming through uh, her area. Now, in the beginning of her vision, this is what she said. It was first the awful state of the land that pressed upon me. I saw the blindness and infatuation of the people to be very great. I felt the cry of liberty to be the hiss of the serpent to drown them in perdition. It was just no God. I repeated the words, Now there is distress of nations, with perplexity in the seas and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear. Now look out for the sign of the Son of Man. Here I was made to stop and cry out, Oh, it is not known what the sign of man is, sign of the Son of Man is. The people of God think they are waiting, but they know what it but they know not what it is. I felt this needed to be revealed, and this was the great darkness and error about it. But suddenly, what it was burst upon me with glorious light. Now, Paul explains to us in 2 Corinthians. Let me turn over there right quick so I don't misquote this. 2 Corinthians, and it is chapter 11, verse... 13, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. Now, this transforming means uh, disguising. Verse 14, and no marvel for Satan himself, that's darkness, that's evil, is transformed into an angel of light. So, in the first part of her vision, she says it was very dark and it was like the hiss of a serpent. But all of a sudden, light came about. And then 
she had this vision of the great taking away. And what was going on in the in the theological era at the time, or the the in that arena, is that they were kind of starting to put together Matthew 24's one taken and one left, and trying to figure out a way to mold it into First Thessalonians chapter four's caught up. And so she had been doing this studying, and all of a sudden this vision came. And she was not given the credit for this. There were two theologians that pretty well took it and ran with it. Uh, September of the same year was the first public mention or teaching of this glorious revelation that she had, and it pretty well just went from there. Uh, the, the verse that they quoted in there to bring it all together was Revelation 3.10, speaking of Philadelphia, uh, the Church of Philadelphia, where they would be kept from the hour of temptation. Now, we're going to get into all these verses, but I just wanted to give you a bit of a history on where this all began. This did not begin back with Moses or Aaron or any of the prophets, though it is spoken in Ezekiel uh, concerning false teachers, and we'll get to that one at the end of the study. Now, being that I did go ahead, I mentioned Revelation 3.10, we'll just start there, and I'm going to work through and see the verses that are used to prove the rapture. What do they really say? Are they documenting a rapture, or are they twisted just a little bit? Just as Satan would twist the scripture when tempting Christ in the wilderness, he, it sounds it's just just right, and then he twists it just a little bit, and that's what's going on here. So Revelation chapter three, we're going to go to verse. We're going to pick it up in verse seven first, so we can get the full subject of what's going on. Revelation chapter three, verse seven. We ask for clarity and understanding from our Father in Jesus' name. Verse seven reads, "And the angel of the church of Philadelphia write these things, saith he that is holy, he that is true." He that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hath kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews, but are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Verse 10. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon the whole world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Now they try to use that and say that, well, they're going to be taken out. That's not exactly what that said. As a matter of fact, Dr. Moffat, who uh, wrote the Moffat Bible or translated it, uh, it's a newer translation, said the way he translates that verse is to keep you safe through the hour of temptation that's coming upon the whole world. So what, were, what was the stipulation in that? Christ said, because you have kept my word. If you understand his word, then you understand that Antichrist is coming first, that Satan as Antichrist is going to show up pretending to be Christ. So then there's no temptation there. We understand that the first one to show up 
is going to be the one pretending. So no matter what kind of temptations he gives and puts out and tempts the whole world, God keeps our mind and has sealed our mind with the seal of his word, and it's no temptation to us. Now let's move over to Matthew 24. Matthew chapter 24. This is talking about the two in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. This is one that is really used a lot. So to pick the subject up in this, Matthew 24 in verse 3 gives us the subject. And verse 3 reads, And as he said upon the Mount of Olives, this being Christ, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming, and of the end of the world? Now from verse 4 all the way to verse 31, he gives you the seven seals. <clears throat> 32, he gives you the parable of the fig tree. And then in 34, that's where we're going to pick it back up. Verse 34, Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass. Now that being the generation of the, the fig tree, the fig tree generation, until all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. But of the day and the hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah, that's Noah, as they were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered unto, into the ark. And they knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So what is this saying? This they you can find in Jude chapter 1 verse 6. And it's talking about the fallen angels. That's the whole reason for the flood. Is that these fallen angels were back, and, or were then, and were doing their best to breed out the line of Christ. And so God had to put a stop to it. And the only perfect... It says generation, but it's pedigree. The only perfect, pure line that still had not intermingled with the fallen angels was Noah and his family. And that's why he was saved, along with two of every flesh. So, <clears throat> it came out of nowhere. They didn't understand. They, they thought everything was going great, and then the flood showed up. Now, let's continue on. Verse 40. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken, and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, and the other left. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. All right. In the parables of Matthew chapter 13, Christ would explain the parable of the, the sower, and uh, excuse me, of the, of the wheat and the tares. And he said that the good man sowed his seed in the field. And then a wicked man came along and sowed seed in his field as well. And then in the explanation of that, the field was the world. The good man was our father. The wicked man was Satan, and the reapers were the angels. So the two shall be in the field. Where are they at? They're in the world. The one will be taken and the other left. 
Well, if one's left in the world, that means there's still work to be done. That means we're supposed to still be out there plowing, sowing seeds, and doing our best to spread the gospel, to spread, to get the truth out. And if one's taken, that means he left the party a little early. The work's not finished. The day's not over. Two, two women will be at grinding at the mill. What are, what are mills for? You grind it, you, you grind the wheat into flour to make bread. And what's bread? The bread of life. So they're making, they're doing their best to make the ingredients here, which would be just like sowing seeds. One's taken, but the other's left and she's still working. There's still work to be done. One left a little early, kind of like the ten virgins. Well, some of their lamps went out, didn't they? Let's continue on, verse 43. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, when what hour, at what time of night, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken into. So if you, if you knew that Antichrist was coming first, you wouldn't allow yourself to be deceived. Therefore, be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. Now, why would people think that he wouldn't be there? Because they're being set up to believe that the Antichrist is the Christ, is the true Christ. So if Antichrist is here on earth and he's sending peace and goodwill, as it says in Daniel chapter 8, he comes in peacefully and prosperously, and they're believing this is Christ, then why would they have any expectation of the true Christ showing up if they really believe that, that the true Christ was already there? That's why they're taken so off guard, why they're so surprised by this. 45. Who then is faithful and a wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household, to give them meat in due season? Now this meat, you can go to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, and that means the meat of God's word, not just the milk. Not just the salvation message, but then also able to give the deeper truths, the, the stuff that really puts meat on your bones, that really makes you grow up strong as a strong Christian. Verily I say unto you, that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, Jeremiah chapter 14, verse 18, is a bit of a double witness to the two in the field and the two at the mill. We'll turn over there right quick and just cover what it says. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 18. And 18 reads, If I go forth into the field, then behold the slain with the sword. What's the sword? That's the word of God. That's the word of the Lord. And if I enter into the city, then behold them that are sick with famine. Amos chapter 8 verse 11 tells us that the famine of the end times is not for bread or the thirst of water, but for the true word of God. So what's going on here? He's in the field and there's people being slain. They're being taken. And he's gone into the city, which would be where the mill would be. And there's people that are in a famine. Why? Because some people have been taken. You know, they're, they're just taken with Antichrist. There they go. Yea, both the prophet and the priest go about into the land that they know not. Now, where are the prophet and the priest that they know not? That means that they're out here just running their head. They don't really know what they're talking about, 
But yeah, they're they're doing a good job. They're making everybody feel good. They're tickling their ears and making sure everybody's having a great time and 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 just partying and and doing all this great stuff and it looks so holy. But it's the apostasy. Now, another area where they come up with this is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So let's move over to 1 Corinthians. I know we're doing a lot of moving around, but it's all right. It's good for you. Helps you get a little, little exercise. All right, so 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and, and what is used here is verse 51 and 52. So let's just read that. Then we'll go back and pick our subject up. Verse 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised, incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Now, one thing here, it says the last trump. It don't say the fifth and a half, or just before the sixth trump, which is where if we were to rapture away before Antichrist, Antichrist shows up at the sixth trump, it would have to be before the sixth trump. Now, in, in this last trump, in the Greek, it's eskatos, which means the farthest out. It's the seventh. So, verse 35 is where this subject is. Why would Paul say this? Because in verse 35, it says, But some men will say, How are the dead raised up, and with what body do they come? That has nothing to do with... Antichrist. That's talking about after it's all over, whenever you die, or at the seventh trump, when the flesh age is through. And then he gives a very good breakdown that we have two bodies. We have a flesh body and we have a spiritual body. And he's explaining that all the way to verse 50. And he said, now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. And this explains, or, or what he's trying to say here, he's not speaking of a rapture. He's speaking of at the seventh trump, when Christ returns and his feet step down on the mount, that at that moment, all flesh is gone. We are then returned to our spiritual body in the twinkling of an eye. Gone, everything is changed from flesh to spirit. Now, our next section where they try to use it to prove the rapture is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. Before we go to 16, let's find our subject. You've got to back up to verse 13 to understand what Paul's talking about. Verse 13 reads, but I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, which means those that have passed away, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope, even as those that don't believe in a resurrection, those that don't believe in an eternal life, okay? That's those that have no hope. Verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, them which are asleep in Jesus 
will God bring with him? That's meaning when they pass away, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, when the silver cord parts, when the golden bowl is broken, immediately that which is the that came from the earth returns to the earth, that's this flesh body, and that which the Lord gave, the spirit that the Lord gave, immediately returns to him. Nobody's out here in a grave. Nobody's in an urn or anything like that. The flesh is, but the spirit is in paradise with God. Verse 15, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord, unto the coming of the Lord, not unto the secret slipping away, but unto the coming of the Lord, shall not prevent them which are asleep. Naturally, we can. Those who pass away, they're already with God. We can't hold them up. They're already there. Verse 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. That's not a secret. There's no secret catching away or secret snatching there. With a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. Now, we just went over this trump in 15. It's the farthest out. It's the seventh trump. This, when he shows up, is going to be a massive announcement, naturally, because we're all going to be changed in the flesh, uh, changed into the spirit from the flesh. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. They already have. They have risen. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we ever and so shall we ever be with the Lord. I mean you might say, well, well, right there, what does that say? Well, let's see what it says. Caught up. To be caught up in the Greek, this is nephile, and it means to be changed. Excuse me, it's harpazo, and it means to be changed or to be raised. That is the flesh going away and the spirit being put on, being being coming through. Now, the clouds, that's where the nephile comes in, and that's a throng or a multitude. It's the same word that is used in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, whenever he said, we will gather in the clouds and run our race. It's like a cloud of locusts. It's not talking about a cumulus cloud in the sky. It's talking about a vast multitude. To meet the Lord in the air. Now, this is air in the Greek, and it is breath. What do they say? What, what, when, when Adam was formed, God breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. So this is that the to be with the Lord in the air, to be with the Lord in that spiritual, that breath of life body. And so we shall ever be with the Lord, because in the eternity, we will not be in the flesh. The flesh, this flesh body is only for this era, this age of time, which is a testing age. And the reason for the flesh is because it's limited. It's limited by age, by disease, by corruption, and it's not an eternal body. So if we screw up bad enough... We don't have to just continue screwing up. That's just, that's that. We go back to God. And then after the millennium, you come into the white throne judgment. Verse 18, wherefore comfort one another with these words. So he's trying to, what is taken out and twisted was actually Paul trying to make people feel good 
about where those who've died are. Now, obviously Paul knew that this was causing confusion in the Thessalonians. Now, this is a verse that they will not use very often, or a section. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And it's pretty obvious in reading this that there were some misunderstandings in what Paul had written. So this is his second letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 2 and verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Christ, Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. So what he's saying is, let's talk about this. Let's talk about him coming back and us getting back to him. Verse 2, that you be not soon shaken in mind. Don't, don't get all haywire out here. Don't get all confused about it or be troubled. Neither by spirit, now this spirit is an evil spirit, or such as a familiar spirit that is communicating, you know, that it, that is summonsed up for whatever people might want to do that for. The same as in uh, Mark chapter 7, verse 25 and 26, where the woman comes to Christ and says, my daughter's got this spirit, and uh, eventually Christ through her faith, uh, cast him out. So, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, he's talking about his first letter, as that the day of Christ is at hand. So don't get ahead of yourself. Don't get confused. Let's just talk about this. Verse 3, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there be a falling away first. That's the apostasy. That's when all these folks that have been Christians their whole life but have never gotten down to the nitty-gritty, okay? They've not really gotten into the Word. And Antichrist shows up promising a chicken in every pot and, and a car in every garage and all this other stuff, and they think he's Christ, and they worship him. And in that moment, they've done a 180. They went from being Christians to being Satanists. That's the apostasy. And they don't understand that. They don't know that. They've not been taught. That's why Amos 11, chapter 8, verse 11, the famine is for the truth. Continuing on. And that man of sin, well, we know who that is, be revealed, the son of perdition. Son of perdition. Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 18 tells us, that Satan is destined to perish, and that's what perdition means. God says he will be turned to ashes within, from within, and he is the only named entity that has already received the death penalty. Verse 4, Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not, that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. So this day is not going to come. We are not going to gather to Christ until after Satan has been here as Antichrist, until he sets up and claims to be Christ, and the apostasy has happened. And then, at the seventh trump, when Christ returns, then we'll be gathered back to him. Now, what is God's feelings on this? We'll get it just, just direct. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 13. 
might say, well, if the if the rapture doctrine came about, if this vision came about in 1830, then why are we going all the way back to Ezekiel? Well, naturally, God knows all things. And he could see this coming. So, chapter 13, we're going to begin at verse 1, and then we're going to skip ahead. This entire chapter is basically God getting on to the false prophets. Chapter uh, Ezekiel chapter 13, verse 1. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel that prophesy and say thou unto them that prophesy out of their own hearts. Hear ye the word of the Lord. Prophesying out of your own heart, that means just like it was talking about in Jeremiah chapter, uh, chapter 14, where he was saying the priests are, they're, they're lost. Well, it's because they're, they're prophesying out of their own hearts. They're not listening to God. They're just saying what they want to say. So, let's move on. We'll skip ahead to verse 18. Ezekiel chapter 13, verse 18. And say thus the Lord God, Woe to the women, and say thus saith the Lord God, Woe to the women that sew pillows to all armholes and make kerchiefs upon the head of every stature to hunt souls. Will you hunt the souls of my people and will you save the souls alive that come unto you? All right, so this can use a little, little help in the translation. The armhole, the, the pillows to the armholes. Armholes is it's talking about knuckles or the joints in the hands. And so what it's talking about is basically picture God with his hand outreached, and he wants, he wants everyone to take his hand. He wants us to accept the salvation that was paid for on the cross. And these false prophets are so coverings to where we can never grasp that hand if you believe in their, uh, their doctrine. And to make kerchiefs upon the head of every statue to hunt souls. So these kerchiefs are basically mantles that cover the head to where God's truth can't get to them. They've got this Oh, it's just beautiful, and it's so religious, and, and it looks so great, but it's not God. It's false. Verse 19, Will you pollute me among my people for handfuls of barley and for pieces of bread? Are you going to just tickle their ears for money? That's pretty well what it's saying. To slay the souls that should not die, and to save the souls alive that should not live, by your lying to my people that hear your lies. So, are you going to go judge those people? God's the only judge. Are you fixing to sit here and tell these people, oh, no, it's okay, you can do that. Just, you know, eh, we can get by this. It's no big problem. And then make just twisted lies out of the, out of the, the word of God. Verse 20, Wherefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against your pillows, wherewith you hunt the souls to make them fly. Uh-oh. That kind of sounds like a rapture, don't it? But God's against it. Right there. And I will tear them from your arms and will let the souls go, even the souls that you hunt, to make them fly. That's pretty well just straight on. 
God is against the flyaway doctrine. Verse 21, Your kerchiefs also will I tear and deliver my people out of your hand, and they shall be no more in your hand to be hunted, and ye shall know that I am the Lord, because with your lies ye have made the heart of the righteous sad, whom I have not made sad, and strengthened the hands of the wicked, that he should not return from his wicked ways by promising him life. Therefore ye shall see no more vanity nor divine divinations, for I will deliver my people out of your hand, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. What he's saying there is, basically, all these preachers that say, you don't have to study the book of Revelation. We're not supposed to understand the book of Revelation. And the problem with that is the, is the apocalypse, okay? Well, what does that mean? It means the, the uncovering, to be made known. We're supposed to read it so that we understand what's going to come, what's going to happen. Oh, but you don't have to read that because we're going to fly away. God says it right there. I'm against those that teach my people to fly to save their souls. So that's what the Word of God has to say about it. Whatever any man has to say, this, me, or, or any other man, that don't matter. It, what matters is what God says about it in all things. Search it out. Study it. Find it for yourself. Because that's what's important. No man can give you salvation other than the man of Christ who died on the cross. And no man's responsible for you except yourself. God bless y'all. I hope this answered some questions, maybe cleared up some confusion or controversy or, or whatever. And... uh just know, the rapture is not scriptural. There's nowhere in the King James Bible where it says rapture. God bless y'all and have a great day. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Humans Under Grace Bible Study Podcast. If you have any questions, you can go to our website at www.humansundergrace.com and under the Contact Us page, submit your question. Also, you can write to us at humansundergrace.com P.O. Box 1467, Tatum, Texas 75691. Thank you and God bless you.